Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Laity Podcast. You got Andrew here with Stephen, as always, and we are super excited to have uh, joining us tonight from Orlando, Florida, uh, Justin Lee in the house. Justin, how's it going, man? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing great. Doing man. well. Excited Steven, for this you... conversation, man. Me too. Thank you so much, <laughs> Justin, for getting back to us. And uh, man, something about Twitter, like it's not all bad. You can tweet people and like sometimes they get back to you and say they'll come on the podcast. So thanks for like responding to us. Um, and it's just mostly bad. It's just That's mostly yeah. bad. <laughs> uh, it must be the amount of money we're paying you to come on here and uh, and talk. Um, but yeah, yeah, I haven't gotten that check yet. Yeah. But I will you know, it's it after. Up. It closes formally after. Don't cash it till Friday done. now. Hang on, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, man, for, for those of you who don't know, um, Justin, I'm going to have him introduce himself in a minute, but he uh, is, you know, an, an evangelical Christian, an author, um, an activist. He's writes and speaks on faith, culture, um, and I like this title on his, on his, uh, in his bio, Faith, Culture, and Nuance, which I think is something that'll come up. And uh, we, we want to talk specifically with Justin tonight about his most recent book, which I think is from this past summer, Talking Across the Divide, How to Communicate with People You Disagree With and Maybe Even Change the World. Um, Justin, for those who don't know, uh, listening, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Well, my name is Justin. I live in Orlando, uh, right next to the Magic Kingdom. Always a fun time. There you go. Um, and yeah, so I grew up in North Carolina. I um, grew up Southern Baptist. My faith has been at the center of my life from the word go. Um, you know, all my life, you know, when, when people have asked me who I am, it's like the very first thing is, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. That's, that's who I am. And, um, so gosh, there are a lot of things I could tell you about my background, but, uh, I grew up in, you know, a, a very conservative, uh, home with two loving parents. Um, my mom has, uh, sadly passed away, but my, mm. but we had a wonderful relationship. My dad and I still have a wonderful relationship. Um, and you know, they, they raised me well. And, uh, when I was in school, I was the kid with the Bible in his backpack and a bunch of tracts ready to preach at anyone who would listen. And my, <laughs> one of my, uh, classmates <laughs> nicknamed me God boy for being the kid who was always like ready to, to, to witness to everyone, you know, at the drop of a hat. Um, and, uh, growing up, I had a lot of opinions, um, uh, about, you know, sort of the Christian view of this issue and the Christian view of that issue. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I was actually, uh, something of a debater. Um, I mean, not that I think that debate is inherently wrong, but I think that if debate is our posture to the world, that we're always looking for a chance to start a yeah. debate with people. Yeah. I don't think that that's a good witness. And, um, and, but it was my approach growing up. And, uh, one of those issues that I loved to debate people on was homosexuality, which is not what we're talking about tonight. But, um, but I, you know, I had the view that you would expect a conservative Southern Baptist to have. Um, I believed that being gay was a a sin and a choice, and something that um, that God wanted something better in people's lives. And some of my friends called me homophobic for that, but I, you know, I didn't think I was 
uh, homophobic. I just, I, I wanted, I wanted to love people the way God loved them. And my understanding was that meant that I needed to tell them uh, the truth. And, you know, and, and that was what I understood to right. be the truth as, you know, from, from what I saw in the Bible. And, um, so none of that is particularly surprising if you understand my, my upbringing, the surprising part, the, 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 the M. Night Shyamalan worthy twist in my story, um, is that from the moment I hit puberty, um, when all my guy friends were starting to notice the girls, uh, in, in, in the class, I was starting to notice the guys. And I thought for years that it was, um, phase I would grow out of. I thought that as long as I stayed faithful in my walk with Christ, that, you know, I, I would eventually become attracted to women. I dated girls. I considered myself straight and it didn't happen. And so to make a long story short, I spent a lot of years ultimately getting to the point that I was crying myself to sleep night after night, begging God to, you know, please change these feelings, Mm. um, thinking that I could become straight, thinking that, you know, that something was was wrong with me. And it wasn't until I was 18, actually, that um, even though I, you know, I, I just said it in terms of being straight, I didn't think that I wasn't straight. I thought that I was straight, but just had these weird feelings for some reason. And it wasn't until I was 18 that it occurred to me that that I might be gay. And I didn't know how that was possible for a good Christian boy who did not want to be gay to be gay, because I thought it was mm. a choice and a sinful choice. Um, and I wasn't you know, I wasn't sexually active. I wasn't dating anybody or kissing anybody or holding anybody's hand. I had a girlfriend. Uh, we didn't even kiss. Um, and this realization really just turned my world upside down. And so I, I didn't know what to do about it. And I found that when I went to a lot of my Christian friends, um, and the, and, and and my family who were all Christians and my pastor and, Sunday school teacher and people I respected in the church, that they didn't have a lot of answers for me, um, that they didn't really understand how I could be going through what I was going through. And the more I tried to understand what was going on, the more I found that there were a lot of Christians who assumed I was taking a position that that, uh, required Mm -hmm. them to debate with me. And I found myself on the other end of those debates. And so over the years, I've spent a lot of time having conversations. My views have changed on some things and I, you know, my life has changed in a lot of ways. And, but, but over the years, I've spent a, a lot of my life having conversations about the LGBT plus uh, conversation with folks in the church, folks who disagree with each other, folks on, on both sides of that conversation and trying to help bring more nuance, trying to help people who disagree to understand each other better, to understand why this person who sits next to you in church could possibly disagree with you on what the Bible says about this or have a different mm-hmm. view. And what does that mean? That we think that it matters that we get it right, and yet we don't agree on what the right answer is. How is it possible to hold a position and think that that position matters and still treat somebody with love and grace who disagrees? And what if you want to change their mind? And what does that look like? And so um, so there's a long-winded way of saying that I've spent a lot of time having that conversation about sexuality and gender in the church and um, spent about 20 years of my life having that conversation and doing a lot of work and became well-known for that and wrote my first book, Torn, on that subject. And since then, um, a lot of people have been asking me, well, how do you have these kinds of difficult 
conversations in general. I mean, what about politics? What about other theological issues where we disagree in the church? You know, what about this issue and that issue? And so I wrote Talking Across the Divide, my new book, um, to, to help people understand the kind of principles that we can use to have some of these really difficult conversations, whether it's about gay folks, whether it's about women in ministry, whether it's about gender identity, whether it's about, you know, who should be president of the United States, that that, that we need to be able to have these conversations with grace. Gosh, man, that's, the, that's I, I love that point. I mean, I think that's something that, um, churches, I mean, if we're going to survive, you know, in, in, in the years to come, we've got to find a way to get good at, to get good at conversations like this conversations that matter conversations where the expectation is not that we all necessarily agree and that's okay. And then, but we still need to actually engage and it doesn't actually, you know, no one's opinion is, is, is swept under the rug. I think this is, um, it's really important work, man. I'm glad you're doing it. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm really glad there's a Christian out there trying to trying to do this. I think that's really, uh, I think that's, I think that's awesome. How does your faith kind of inform that work in particular? How does like your, 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 your Christian faith inform your, your need, your sort of desire to, to become a person who's able to sit in these really tense, difficult rooms and bring some sense of, of peace and understanding to both sides? Well, here's the thing. If you and I are on opposite sides of a conversation, you know, whether it's politics, theology, or or even just a, a dispute, if we're family members and we're on opposite sides of a family quarrel, um, as much as I may disagree with your position, and I may be convinced that it's a matter of, you know, right and wrong, and I'm right and you're wrong, uh, and sometimes it is, mm-hmm. as wrong as I may think you are, and as much as I may disagree with you, the Bible tells me that God loves you. <laughs> That, that you are created in God's image just as much as I'm created in God's image, and that I am a sinner just as much as you are a sinner, and that I am forgiven for my sin, you know, that, and, and God expects me to then forgive others and show grace to others. Jesus hits that point over and over in Scripture. And so, even if I think you're wrong, and I'm sure, you know, if we were to talk about the, the gay conversation, I'm sure you'd have listeners who, anything that I said on that, uh, you'd have some listeners who would say, yes, he's right. And some listeners would say, no, he's wrong. Um, and that's a whole conversation. But we got to have that conversation. We got to have, we're going to do that one. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> but like, no matter, no matter how much we may disagree, I have to start by acknowledging that God loves you, that God cares about you just as much as God cares about me. And so I need to treat you with that kind of respect. The world's approach to disagreement is. Um, amass as much power as you can and just steamroll over your opposition. Uh, you know, try to, to, to get as many people on your side as possible so that it doesn't matter that people disagree because you'll just do what you want anyway. Right. right. And I don't think that's a Christian perspective. I think a Christian perspective says, even if I have the power to get my way in, you know, legislation or in the church or whatnot, even if I have the power to get my way, if I know that you think that what I'm doing is wrong and I think you're wrong, I still need to care. I need to care about your feelings because God cares about your feelings. And so I want to show you grace and love and be willing to engage with you. um, And particularly within the church, I want to engage with you as my brother in Christ. 
Right. When you were go without getting too much in your history, which hopefully we can in another time, when you began, you know, recognizing or, or even coming out as as gay and as a Christian in your church, what I would assume is in a church context. I'm curious if your like your acknowledgement of this divide that you talk about over years, I guess, of 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 experience was that coming out of an immediate kind of community, Christian community context that you had been living in and kind of growing through? And is that that gap something you recognized even in your own life with people really close to you? Um, and or um, has that just been something you've noticed, you know, now that you have more of a, what I would assume is more of a national platform and you're observing this conversation across cities and maybe even countries and different churches, is it something you're seeing this divide and the need to talk across it, is it something you're seeing more at a at a macro level? Yeah, I think both. When I when I first realized I was gay, my first instinct was to go to what were then called ex-gay ministries, um, with the hope of becoming straight, becoming attracted to women. Mm. And uh, long story short, that didn't work. It didn't happen. Uh, we can talk about that another time. But that then left me with this question of, well, if I'm never going to be attracted to women. Um, you know, and I'm, and I'm always going to be attracted to men. What is, what does that mean? What does God want from my life? And there was a, a group in the nineties, uh, on online called bridges across the divide. And it wasn't a Christian group, but there were a lot of Christians in it. And this was a group dedicated to talking about homosexuality and, um, and the different cultural views and how do we show each other love and respect across that divide. Uh, so that, uh, it influenced the, the, the title of my book. Um, and they had what they called side A and side B. So in essence, side A was in favor of same-sex marriage, saying that marriage uh, was equally valid regardless of the gender of the partners and, and equally blessed by God. And what they called side B, which was what a lot of Christians would uh, think of as the as the traditional uh, understanding in the church, the the idea that God's design is heterosexuality, and so um, you know if you're if you're gay, perhaps you're called to celibacy, but but you shouldn't act on those same sex attractions, and um, and so I met. Uh, through that group and through writing my story online and talking to other gay Christians, I met gay Christians who were on site A and were in relationships or pursuing relationships. I met gay Christians who were on site B, who were committed to lifelong celibacy and and all the struggles that, that came with that. And I met gay Christians who were trying to figure out, you know, in between, um, you, you know, trying to figure out where, where God was leading them. And... Um, what I found was that on both sides, a lot of folks, di they didn't feel like there was a place for them in the church. And so what, um, what became important to me was to create a space where we could talk across that divide, where folks on side A and side B could sit down and have some nuanced conversation and say, what do you really need in the church? What, you know, how do we help you walk this difficult journey and figure out what God is saying, uh, you know, on this issue, even if we disagree, how do I show you love as, as right. a brother in Christ? So that really did influence how I see a lot of these issues. But I think also just in recent years, what I've seen, um, 
just in the last few years is a real increase in the political rhetoric yeah. in the church. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it's not a, an entirely new thing. I mean, I remember growing up, uh, you know, and I, and I wrote about this in talking across the divide that, you know, growing up in my church, there was this assumption that if you were, uh, you know, we were Southern Baptists, if you were a good Christian, that meant you voted Republican. That's just, you know, and, um, and then, you know, I came out as gay and met a lot of gay folks who were like, well, if you're a good gay person, then you vote Democrat, you know? <laughs> so, mm. um, I, I don't, I don't talk about my political, uh, views, uh, in public at all. I mean, I certainly, you know, have views, but I, I've just, you know, people, they're people who I think are convinced that I'm a diehard, whatever they're not. And, um, on both sides, but, but I've seen this increase in political rhetoric where the politics has become even more important than the Bible, even more important than faith, even more important than what does God say is like, well, you know, are you part of my party or not? And that concerns me because politics is inherently divisive. And yeah. at the end of the day, I believe that God loves people on both sides of the political aisle and people who aren't on either of those sides as well. And so somehow we need to be able to show love and grace while still having these important conversations on issues that do matter to us as Christians. You know, I, how do you respond when people say that, that, that there's kind of a false dichotomy here, that it's like, well, either we, we, uh, um, either we agree and therefore there's, you know, there's love and grace or we, um, or we disagree and, and that's not love and grace. How, how do you, how, how do you get people who are on these different sides of the aisles where, they, where they're really important things? It's, it's just, it's not like, you know, baseball teams or ice cream flavors. I mean, there, there are <laughs> really, this is really important stuff because it matters to people yeah. and, and it, do, it doesn't cut it just to say, well, you know, you think what you think, I think what I think. But at the same time, I think that, um, well, my, my question is basically, how do you, how do you help people when, when they're worried that, um, that to, to, to say that, oh, well, God loves people on both sides is just to collapse the, the tension completely and then sort of ignore right. the differences. Right. Yeah. I, I, because I don't think that I think, um, that, some of the issues we disagree on, yeah, are like ice cream flavors, you know, it, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, unless, unless your favorite ice cream flavor is butter pecan, in which case you're wrong and you're going to hell. But <laughs> there you, go. um, you said that in the book, I wrote it down and, uh, <laughs> <future> reference. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I, I have a habit of reusing the same terrible jokes, but, <laughs> um, but seriously though, there are some issues like that that, that are not important. Um, but there are issues that are important. Like, you know, when we talk about um, something like same-sex marriage, um, from a Christian perspective, uh, you know, either God is okay with marriages between people of the same sex and blesses them, um, or God is not okay with them and does not bless them. And either way, it's important that we get it right. Because if God blesses them and we say that God doesn't bless them, then we are are tearing apart relationships that God has put together. You know, God's joined folks together and we're tearing them asunder. And, and mm. we are hurting a lot of people and driving a lot of gay teens to depression and, and in some cases even suicide over something that's not from God. That would be horrible in the name of the church, in the name of Christ. Mm. How horrible. 
But what if, on the other hand, what if God says it's not good? And we say it's good. And we say, and we say, oh, no, it's fine. God blesses it. And then we're encouraging people to sin. And we're encouraging people to do something God doesn't want them to do. Well, that's also horrible. They were telling, they were taking people further away from, from God. So like, I, I think that it matters. I don't think either way there, there's not on, on moral issues like that. It is very often true that there's not a, a middle ground. There's not a, you know, well, you do your way and I do mine. That may end up being what we have to do because, you know, it, Romans 14 says that each of us yeah. is accountable to God ourselves. But, but still, there's a right and a wrong answer. And I want, and I hope we all want, to get it right. And so if I think that I've got it right and I think you've got it wrong, of course I'm going to want to change your mind. So when I talk about having dialogue across divides, I'm not saying that we we say, well, this issue doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we think. Uh, it's not important. You've got your opinion. I've got my opinion. Let's just all you know, sing kumbaya. Uh, what I'm saying is that we start by saying, you know what? This issue matters. We both agree that this issue matters. We both agree that we need to get it right, and yet we disagree on what the right answer is. I can believe that you're wrong and want to change your mind, but also still treat you with love. And and it doesn't... Wanting to change your mind and wanting to change your, your perspective on something where I think you're wrong and I think maybe you're doing harm to people is not does not preclude me from treating you with the kind of grace and compassion and love that Jesus treated people with. And in fact, if I treat you with compassion and love, and if I listen to you and try to understand where you're coming from before just yelling at you, before just preaching at you and lecturing you, I actually have a better chance of ultimately getting you to see things my way, at least a little bit. Yeah. Justin, I'd, I'd love to hear you kind of talk about the barriers. I know in, in your book, you mentioned, I think it's five different barriers to, um, to successful conversations like this. And uh, what are those barriers that keep us from being able to have respectful dialogue and community with, with, with our, the people that we love? Yeah. So um, these are the kind of five barriers that I've identified in my work that are the things that keep people from, from listening. You know, very often um, we want to change somebody's mind on something and we find ourselves feeling like we're just hitting our head against a brick wall. And I, I think we all know that feeling where you, you, you're trying to get someone to see your perspective on something and it just seems like mm -hmm. nothing you say lands and it's frustrating. And I think that there are at least five big reasons why that has, why that, that happens. Um, the first one is ego protection, basically that nobody sees themselves as a villain. We, we all want to see ourselves as good people. And so if you go into a conversation with the perspective of, I'm the protagonist, this person is the antagonist, they're the villain, um, you know, I'm going to change their mind so they'll stop being such a bad person, um, they sense that in you. And the minute that they feel like you're telling them that they're uh, evil or stupid, they're going to shut down and they're not going to listen to anything you have to say because they don't think that they're evil or stupid. Right. And so that that's that's the first one. The second one is uh, team loyalty, which uh, really is a big thing, especially in this politicized culture. We have certain teams, whether it's our, our uh, political affiliation or our denomination or, uh, you know, a, a particular cultural group that we're a part of. 
we have these different overlapping teams that we're on uh, in society. And it's like, this is who I am. This is what defines me. And very often we, um, we adopt an us versus them mentality where it's like, you know, the minute you tell me that you watch a particular news channel that I know is associated with, you know, the other uh, political party, and I watch this news channel that's associated more with my political party. Well, now, you know, as soon as you tell me that you saw something on that channel, I immediately now write you off right. because it's like, oh, you're one of them. You're one of those you know? guys. Yeah. <laughs> so now I don't care about anything else that you have to say. And, um, and so that's a problem that we sometimes send signals without meaning to, even just with our language, you know, you use a certain word and somebody was with you until they're like, oh, you're part of that church. Cause you use that word. So I know you're part of that church now. And so now I don't care what you have to say. Yeah. Um, so that's the second one. Uh, the third one is misinformation, which is uh, what it sounds like. You know, we talk about a culture of fake news. Uh, sometimes people believe things that aren't true or don't be- believe things that are true. And so they're operating with a different set of facts and you aren't going to arrive at the same conclusion when you believe different facts about what you're even talking about. The fourth one is comfort, like comfort with the status quo. If if I feel like things are fine the way they are, then why do I want to go to the, the mental effort of trying to change my mind? When you're telling me I should change my mind on something, that's a lot of stuff I have to rethink. It's a lot easier to just assume that you're wrong and stick with what I've always believed. And the fifth one is worldview protection, which is that you're when you try to change my mind on one thing, you may not realize that you're also trying to change my mind on a lot of things that that thing is connected to. Yeah. And... Um, so there are sometimes really deep roots to what we believe. And I'm afraid that if I agree to hear you out on this one issue, I might have to rethink all of these other issues. And that's just too mm. much. So, so sometimes we're running into one or more, often all five of these barriers when we try to have difficult conversations with folks and people get angry and we think, why are you getting so angry? You know, where is that coming from? And it's because all of these psychological issues uh, are at work. Do you, do you think that in, in faith communities, are we better or, or worse resourced to have these kinds of conversations? Like, like does, yeah. does, 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 does being able to drop God onto either side at any point in the conversation help or hurt us? Oh boy. You know, I think, I think if we can have these conversations according to how the Bible tells us to treat one another, uh, how Jesus taught us to treat each other, and and how Paul even talks about the the church dealing with its differences. Um, I think when we do that well, we are better off. But mm. um, often we don't do it well, and uh. You know, I'm I'm sorry to say that that sometimes, um, sometimes, yeah, we 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 just we quote, you know, a a, a passage um, over and over, like it's like it's a weapon almost. Even like I've mm-hmm. seen people use the Bible as weapons against other people. And, and I've seen people argue with each other where one person has one verse that they've pulled out of context and the other person has a different verse that they've pulled out of context. And it's like, they're having a knife fight. Yeah. 
Um, and, and when we do that, I think not only, uh, are we not having these conversations well, but we're really, um, sullying the cause of, of Christ. Um, Mm. and, and unfortunately there are a lot of folks in the church or excuse me, a lot of folks outside of the church, a lot of folks in the world who see Christians, treat other Christians that way and who see Christians treat non-Christians that way um, and and say, well, why would I want to be a part of that? Look how they treat people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, we I think we failed to see and to, to like recognize how religion can can be just as much a part of the ego protection mechanism as you know, our politics or 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 any other kind of thing that we hold. You know, there's always we all have these these versions of ourselves we want to project on in uh, into the world and and often our, our faith is part of that and it gets ugly and we're dealing with big issues too i mean when you're talking about um you know when you're talking about salvation you're talking about souls you're talking about eternity you're talking about a god you know of the whole universe um we, you know, it, it's as important as our political debates are, and some of them are very important. Um, what could be more important than these big kind of eternal universe things? Um, and and so I think sometimes we get so worried that, that somebody's getting something wrong and that they're going to lead others astray that we forget how important it is to show grace in, in those difficult conversations. Yeah. yeah. Have you, are there any conversations that you've had uh, that, that, that stick out in your mind as ones that were just transformative or things, conversations that have left you changed? Um, <laughs> so one of the conversations that, unfortunately, a lot of the conversations that have changed me the most are, are conversations that didn't go well. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, no, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, and interestingly, yeah. So interestingly, a lot of the conversations that have shaped my approach to difficult issues the most are conversations where someone else was trying to change my mind and didn't do it in a in a gracious way. And mm-hmm. I've remembered those moments. And and so then I try to think about how I wish they had treated me. Um, and then when there's someone whose mind I would like to change on something or at least change their perspective or, you know, try to get them to see things a little differently. Um, I try to treat them the way that I wish others had treated me. So when I was in college, um, I had just figured out that, that I was gay and, uh, you know, still very much a Christian, um, trying to figure out what this all means. Was was I side A or side B, to use that bridges across language? You know, was I supposed to be celibate? Was I supposed to keep trying to be straight, even if it never happened? Um, you know, had my church been wrong about what the Bible said? Uh, you know, could, was there hope for some kind of a, a same-sex relationship for me? Could it be a celibate, same, like a celibate partnership or or a marriage? Or, you know, like I had all of these questions and I didn't feel like I had any answers yet. I just had all these questions. So I was really nervous, as you might expect, uh, about um, 
letting anybody know that that I was gay because I I knew that a lot of people, a lot of Christians like me, had a lot of negative views of gay people. And as soon as I said the word gay, people would assume all of these things. Whereas for me, you know, I should clarify, uh, you know, when I say gay, I mean somebody who's attracted to the same sex and not attracted to the opposite sex. And that was true of me. Um, and so I knew there would be people who would say, oh, you shouldn't use the word gay. You should say same sex attracted or something else. And I had reasons I used the language I did, but you know, it would take time to explain my whole story and how I got to that point. So I didn't tell a lot of people. So I was, um, I got involved in this campus, uh, Christian fellowship, uh, on my college campus and I, I had confided in a few people that I was gay and the word sort of got around. And at one point, um, the, one of the adult male leaders of this campus Christian fellowship, uh, asked me to lunch and said, you know, he wanted to chat. Um, and so he had found out that I was gay. And so, um, I went to lunch with him and, and uh, we sat down and we spent a few minutes with him sort of doing small talk, asking different questions, you know, about just, you know, how's life going, you know, how are your classes, whatever. And then he took out this big Bible and dropped it on the table. And he said, um, <clears throat> Justin, I want to hear, I want to hear your response to a few Bible passages. And he starts summing through the pages and says, you know, Leviticus says, a man should not lie with a man as with a woman. It's an abomination. What do you say to that? And I was just, totally, you know, caught off guard. And I, I it's a bait and switch, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it felt, it did feel a bit, um, disingenuous, yeah. um, inviting me to lunch like that. But, you know, I, I, I said, well, gosh, I'm not, I'm not lying with anybody. I'm not sexually active. You know, I, 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 I've just figured out this thing about myself and I, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, I didn't even get a sentence of that response out before he was already turning to the next you know, pastors, first Corinthians six, nine says homosexuals won't inherit the kingdom of God. What do you say to that? And it's like, okay. Uh, you know, and, and, and it was like, I went home after that conversation back to my dorm room and I just cried mm. because I didn't feel like he cared about me at all. I felt like I was a, right. a, a, a pawn in an argument that he wanted to win and even though he said he wanted to hear my opinion, he didn't even give me enough time to explain. You know, he didn't ask about my my journey up to that point. He didn't ask, gosh, you're a you know, really devout Southern Baptist. What in the world would have happened in your life to cause you to say that you're gay? I mean, you know, did you grow up being taught that that was okay? Because I certainly didn't, you know. I mean, he didn't ask any of those questions. He didn't he didn't take time to get to know me. It was the first time we'd ever had, you know, a conversation of any length. And I felt so dehumanized by that. And um, the next year, that guy got promoted and somebody else came in in his place. And that guy found out that I was gay and invited me to lunch. Mm. And we, this time before I went to lunch, I, <laughs> I spent time literally in like looking in the mirror, practicing my like five second responses to any Bible passage he could bring up, anything he could say to get my opinion in there quickly to explain where I was coming from, you know, and, and keep him from, uh, making me feel bad. You know, I just had all this emotional armor mm. on and I went in and we sat down and I was just stiff as a board. And he starts with 
literally the same questions, you know, how, how's life going and how are your classes, you know, yada, yada. And about halfway through the lunchtime, I just stopped and I just said, Macon, why are we here? Like, wh what is it you want to ask? And he says, what do you mean? And I say, clearly you invited me here. You want to, you want to have a conversation, you know, let's just get it out. Let's you, dispense with the small talk, ask what you want to ask. And let's just talk about it. And he was silent for a minute. And he says, well, I, I'm brand new to the group and you seem really active in the group. And I just wanted to get to know you a little. And mm. I just <laughs> wanted to crawl into a hole. Mm. Um, but I've, I've told that story to, to a number of Christians because I realized a couple things in that moment. One was that um, when, one was about myself, that I had judged one person because of the actions of another person. I had assumed things about him and I had put all this emotional armor on and I was putting up walls and that was my fault. That was on me. But I also learned that very often when we try to have difficult conversations with people and we sense those walls and we sense that they're not willing to engage, they don't want to listen to us. We don't yeah. know what they've been through before us. We don't know who else they've talked to and who has hurt them intentionally or unintentionally. And so sometimes even when you do it all right, somebody may have just a lot of emotional armor on and it may take time, take time of just showing love and showing love and showing love and listening and listening and listening. Um, because, you know, sometimes it's like, it's like when somebody calls, uh, you know, like when you call a tech support or something and you, you talk to somebody and explain your story and then they say, let me put you on hold. And then you talk to somebody else and tell your story and then they put you on hold. And then somebody else who tells you they're going to fix it and they don't fix it. And then you have to call back. And, and by the time you talk to like the 10th person, you know, and they ask, oh, can you tell me what's going on? You're just ready to snap at them. And you're like, I'm so sick of your stupid company. Well, it's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. So like, we're, we're sometimes my the life. recipients of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm like, wow, that was me this week. <laughs> so all that to say, I think one of the lessons that I've taken from that is that we just have to show, uh, I know I keep saying show grace, but we really do. We have to go into conversations going, you know, I don't know what this person's been through. And so one of the first things I have to do, and in my book, one of the things that I say is one of the first things you should do in any conversation is no matter how much you have to say, shut up and listen and ask the other person what they've been through. What matters to them about this conversation? Why are they having this conversation with, with you? Um, you know, because there's a lot they've been through that you don't know. And if you don't listen and you just start trying to tell them what you think, you don't know all the ways that you're just, you know, pushing all their buttons and making them angrier and angrier instead of making them yeah. more likely to listen. Mm. I have a question and it's not going to come out clearly. So I'm just going to kind of, it's just, it feels very relevant to like my scenario. I can feel like often I, I feel stuck because there are folks I have relationships with even either kind of first degree, like we've been friends directly over years or sort of second degree. We're in the same church or I know their kids or they know me, like just sort of, you know, arm's length, but still know each other. Um, 
and I know we're, you know, going to, we're going to land, like if we were to raise any number of quote unquote issues, um, or subject matter, um, we're going to disagree. Like, I just know there's, we're going to land in different camps. Um, and yet I can feel like I'm not interested in either of these two alternatives on one side, having a debate and, you know, in kind of being in debate mode where it's argument against argument and who's going to come out on top and, and the other side is I'm also not interested in being completely inauthentic and, you know, not speaking up about how I really feel and just being sort of closed and, and, and avoiding and instead huddling with people that I, I agree with and I feel great, you know, connecting with. How do you begin to, I guess my question is, how do you, what's the posture and kind of best way to show up in relationship with people or in conversations with people that is on one hand, like authentic and honest and, but, but, but also, you know, not getting into a debate when you're in a scenario where you don't even feel like you have the same sort of language or framework, um, to even begin to talk about some of these things. Like I can feel like I'm immediately needing yeah. to be defensive and I'm scared that if I say certain things, I'm going to be misinterpreted. Um, and they probably feel like, I, I don't know how they feel, maybe a sense of like, this guy's totally unbiblical or totally off base. And, you know, I'm going to ask that those kind of poignant questions. What do you think about this subject? Where do you stand on this now? How do you even begin to speak into someone in that kind of scenario? Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's complicated, kind of a lot, no, no. but I hope it makes some sense. Yeah, it does. You know, I think, I think one of the best things that we can do, um, is to be, to, well, this is more than one thing to be humble and to be human, um, to, to humanize each other, to try to like, to get to know each other. And to be like humble enough and vulnerable enough, you know, we, we go into areas where we know there's going to be disagreement, putting walls up instead of being vulnerable because we don't, you know, we, we have a lot of emotional baggage that we bring to conversations. But I think when we can be vulnerable, when we can say, um, like, like if you've ever uh, been nervous, you know, in a, in a situation, whether it's a, you know, a date or, or a speaking gig often, uh, just to say, I'm really nervous right now. You guys like, <laughs> I've never done this before right, right. can actually break a lot of that tension. It's like, let me just be real with you. I, I'm nervous about this conversation. Like I, I really want to talk to you about this and I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing and I don't want to offend you. Um, and I don't really know how to begin, but I would like to, I would like to get to know you. I would like to understand where you're coming from. And I think the more we can humanize each other, um, so I have a friend named Ron Belgau and Ron and I are on opposite sides of the gay Christian conversation in a, in a bunch of ways. Um, we, we both know what it is to be gay and Christian, but we've come to very different conclusions about what the Bible says and what the church should do. And all of these questions we're, we're kind of on opposite sides. And yet we've done, we've been friends uh, since college and we do presentations together where we talk about the ways we disagree and we're really close friends. And one of the reasons that we're really close friends that we don't spend all our time arguing is 
well is because we don't spend all our time arguing. We spend most of the time when we talk, we don't live in the same place, but when we, when we like talk on the phone or when we're doing presentations together and, you know, we're in the same city to do a presentation or whatever, we spend most of our time talking about other stuff. You know, we talk about what's on TV. We talk about what's going on in the news. We talk about what's going on in our lives. We, we have a normal friendship. Um, my family, we did, we ended up disagreeing on a bunch of stuff and we, we would talk about those things, but then we would take time away from those things and just be a family and just talk about everything else. And when I'm having a difficult conversation with somebody I don't know well, I try to get to know them. Like, tell me about you. And sometimes you find out that you have really interesting things in common. Oh, like you're a big board game geek. I'm a big board game geek. Let's talk about that. You know, what are your favorite games? Or what are you, you like to binge watch Netflix? What do you like to watch? Oh, I haven't seen that show yet. Tell me about it. Is it any good? You know? And eventually you find that you have shared values. Maybe you and I disagree on homosexuality, but we both agree that it matters what the Bible says. And we both agree that we should be fully committed to Christ. And we both agree that, you know, mm. a bunch of things. And so we have a base from which to start a conversation. Maybe one of us is a Republican and one of us is a Democrat, but we both agree that we we love this country and we and we want we we want everyone to be able to succeed in this country. We just have different ideas about how to accomplish that. So we can build on these things that we have in common. And, and instead of being on opposite sides, we can be friends who are on the, on the same side of both wanting what is good and wanting what is true and not always seeing the same way what we, you know, think that is, but, but at least wanting to get there together and that changes how you have conversations entirely. Yeah, that's a, you know, it, it reminds me of the, the section in your book, you, you mention um, the importance of, of trying to listen with the intent, with the intent and, and listen long enough uh, to be able to articulate the other person's story in a way in which they're the protagonist. And, and not only, not only that, that they're the protagonist, but also that, and I love, I love how you mentioned this, that, that you could actually defend their position from attack just as well as your own mm -hmm. in, in a way that they would agree with. Um, how do you, have you found, are there any kind of tips, tricks, things that you've, that you found are, are helpful for, for, for doing that when you're in the middle of these tense, difficult conversations? Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. It's something that you have to work at. One of the things that Ron and I have done occasionally with our presentations that is so much fun, <laughs> also a little nerve wracking, but a lot of fun is we've actually done like reverse debates where we take each other's oh, position wow. and, you know, and, and I say, wow, you know, Ron, I think at this point would make the point that da, 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 da. And then Ron would say, and Justin would probably respond by pointing out that da, 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 you know, and, um, you know, and then at, at the end, we'll stop and say, okay, you know, let me maybe clarify a few things that didn't quite come out, the, you know, but um, it's hard. Um, most of us think that we understand what the people who disagree with us think, but when we try to put it into words and say to them, here's what I think that you're thinking, here's what I think that you're wanting, uh, we find that they go, no. That's not how I would put it. That's not what I would say. That's not how I think about it. You're you're misrepresenting me, and that's part of why we end up in conflict, um, because you know because we think oh well you know this person uh, you know this person disagrees with me on uh, what our uh, 
you know, economic policy should be with regard to uh, poor people. Well, they don't care about poor people. Um, and they, you know, but, but try yeah, saying right. that to them. <laughs> oh, so, so your position, so I think your position is you don't care about poor people. Right. Oh, that's right. not my position at all. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, you don't care about the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't care about the Bible. Yeah, you don't right. care about the Bible. You, you think, yeah. uh, I, you know, I've had people say to you, say to me, um, before they know anything about my story, they don't even know at this point if I'm side A or side B or what, they just know that, you know, I use the word gay and they'll say, well, um, so you think that, uh, that, that it's okay if we just sin. And I'm like, no. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you nailed it. That's about right. Next question. <laughs> My definition, sin is what we should not be doing. <laughs> um, that's no, but, but, but yeah, sometimes you yeah. don't know until you see it. And so what I try to do, and it, it, there's not always a good time to do this, but if I can, I'll try to say to somebody, let me, let me see if I'm understanding where you're coming from. What I'm hearing you say is that you're concerned about such and such. And, um, and that worries you because you think that such and such. And, uh, and so you're afraid that if I get my way, then this is going to happen. And you feel like it's really important for this to happen because of this. And so, you know, and, and, and try to lay it out in a way that, that they would be able to agree with you know from their perspective because yeah none of us i mean we none of us see ourselves as villains we all see ourselves as as the protagonist we all think that we're doing what is good or reasonable for us to do in the situation that we're in and so um i try to say that and sometimes if i do it well then the other person will say wow yeah that is it that's mm you've nailed it, you know, and that's good because then now they feel heard and they feel understood. Um, but you know, a lot of times people will say, mm, no, that's not, I, no, I don't think you've got it. And then, you know, and then they'll explain more and say, I would put it this way. And so then I'll try again and say, okay, so, so then you would say, da, 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 da. well, no, I still don't think you quite have it. And sometimes you just got to keep working, but it's all about helping somebody else to feel understood um, first, before you start trying to help them understand you, because the reality is you're not going to be able to make a good case for your perspective. If you don't even understand why someone disagrees with you, it's not really until yeah. you understand why they think they do that you can understand what the barriers are to them understanding your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not like they disagree with you because they just secretly love their rebellion or right there, you know, like right. there's, there's, there, there is, there is a, there are the protagonists in their own story. There are, they're the, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's like, if, you know, if, you know, it's like, I always say, you know, if, if you're driving and somebody cuts you off in traffic, you know, your immediate reaction is, Oh, this idiot, why are they on the road? Right. You know, get off your phone and drive, you know? And, um, you know, but, but most of us have at one point or another cut somebody else off in traffic and we didn't mean to, um, you know, and we don't think that we're terrible people, but usually if we were asked about why, you know, well, why did you cut that person off in traffic? You know, we feel bad about it, but we have a, an excuse. It's like, well, gosh, I mean, they were going too fast anyway. And I just had so much going on. It's just been such a terrible day. And it's, you know, and I was, I was distracted by this and this and this. And I, you know, and it's like, we find ways to explain it so that we don't come off looking like the bad right. guy. Um, but we're quick to assume other people are the bad guy and we don't stop to think, well, what might they be thinking? What's, what's going on in their heads? Yeah. 
Can you, um, I, I love the part in the book where you mentioned that this, this model for cross-cultural engagement and there are these, I can't remember, I think it's six stages total. There's sort of like the, the first three are the, the, the bad ones basically. And then they get progressively better above that. Um, I'm wondering if you can walk us through just a little bit, maybe those first three stages and maybe sort of frame it as uh, like, this is what a conversation looks like in the, when, when this, you know, when, when your conversation partner is in this stage or when you're in this stage. Yeah. So this is a model that was developed some years ago about um, how people deal with different cultures and, and it's uh culture, not just in terms of like, you know, different, different countries where people speak different languages, but even just like there's a difference between say, you know, the Southern Baptist culture that I grew up in and like, you know, the, the Pentecostal culture that a friend of mine grew up in or the Catholic culture that my friend Ron grew up in. Um, there you know, differences between Southern culture and Northern culture. There are differences, but you know, it's like we all have these different cultures. And, um, and so there's this, uh, series of stages of, uh, increasing cultural competence, like ability to communicate across cultures. So the, the worst one, <laughs> the, the very first stage, uh, is called denial of difference. And it's basically somebody who's like, yeah, yeah what other you know, what, what other culture, like, you, you know, you just, you only experience the world as like your culture is, is it, you know, the, the way you see the world is the way everybody sees the world, you know? And it's kind of where a lot of us start as kids. I mean, it's certainly where I started as a kid. I didn't realize that everybody didn't grow up in a home like mine, you know? Um, and so sometimes people are just shocked. Like you, they get confronted with a different viewpoint and they've just never considered in their lives that anyone sees the world that way. <laughs> just like never yeah. heard of it, you know? Um, and then, and then as we become aware of other, of other understandings, other viewpoints, um, there's a second stage, which is uh, defense against difference or, or polarization. And this is where, uh, we get that us versus them mindset. Like I know those people exist and they're bad and, <laughs> and my side is good. And it's, and I think it's important to recognize that this is not the same as saying, you know, I think I'm right and they're wrong. I mean, if we're talking about a, a moral issue, for instance, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it's very reasonable to say, I think I'm right and, and you're wrong. But, but the defense against difference is, is really, it's like, it's like my side, you know, is the good, like we can do no wrong and your side is just, you know, terrible. We're, we're better people than you. Um, there, you know, it's not, I think you're wrong, but you're, you have legitimate reasons for what you believe. I just think you're wrong. It's like, no, you're just, you know, you're bad, bad people, you know? And, um, and so that's where, you know, you really get people like villainizing the other and saying, uh, uh, you know, you're just, uh, you know, you're one of those, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're on that side of the political aisle. And so I don't have to take anything you say seriously. Cause I know what you, you people are like. Um, and then the third stage is minimization of difference. So this is where a lot of people who think they've moved past the us versus them mentality get to that kind of kumbaya, like, Oh, like everybody's okay. Kind of space. But what they end up doing without realizing it is minimizing the ways in which, in which we're, we're actually different. Right. And so, um, and so we assume, for instance, now I was in this with respect to my faith for a long time. Because I grew up steeped in evangelical culture, when 
I started becoming more known as a as a, a leader in in certain Christian spaces, I started meeting a lot of Christians from different denominations. And I was shocked to realize how many of the things that I took for granted as an evangelical were not beliefs or values or language shared by all Christians. And that, you know, mm. like I would, you know, be in a room with with a, a you know, an Episcopalian brother or sister and say something and they would be like, I've never heard of that before. You know, we believe in my church this and this. And I would say, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a Christian. Yeah, exactly. And so it's important not to just minimize these differences. Um, and especially when we talk about things like race, it's easy for us to um, minimize differences in a way that make people feel like they're not being seen. You know, we just say, well, you know, just, uh, you know, colorblind society and just, you know, I don't see race and whatever. And people we like, celebrate no, no, no. it. Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, but no, 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 yeah. this is, this is, this is, you know, a part of my life. This is part of my experience. I want you to see the ways in which my experience is different from your experience. I don't want to be judged for it, but I want it to be seen. I want it to be understood because it's part of what makes me who I am. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Man. Well, Justin, this has been awesome. Um, yeah, this is great. I, uh, I, I, do you have anything that you're working on now? I mean, are there any sort of new, uh, new products on the radar or anything interesting that's kind of got you occupied recently? Yeah. Uh, so I, um, I have a website. I'm a big geek. I earlier used an example of being a board game geek. Um, that that's actually my life. Wow. (laughs) It's a real thing. What games? I'm a geek about a lot of stuff. Oh boy, don't get me started. I, <laughs> like top 150. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, how much time do you have? I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of, I really like hidden identity games. Um, so there's a, there's a game I like called One Night Ultimate Werewolf that I, I Oh my gosh, I know love. that game. My friend introduced me to that recently. We like play <laughs> the audio thing on the app and it's like, you're yeah. the werewolf. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. So I'm a geek about a lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, so my website is geeky Justin. It's G E E K Y J U S T I N dot com. Uh, and on my website, you can read. I have a lot of stuff about the sexuality and Christianity thing because I know people are you know dying to hear about all that and information on my books and all that. And I have a YouTube channel that's also linked from that, and it's youtube.com slash geeky Justin, um, where I post videos about. Uh, Christian faith and different, you know, different issues, including stuff about sexuality, but also working on a bunch of videos on geek, geekdom and, um, and other things. And, um, yeah. And I've got my two books torn and talking across the divide. I do a lot of speaking. So if any of your listeners are looking for a speaker, I am available and you can find out information on my website uh, about that as well. And I've been doing Facebook live things every Monday night. I've been interviewing different people and, oh, cool. and then those go up on my YouTube channel as well. So it's geeky, Justin, and not, <laughs> I was, I was speaking recently to a group uh, and I said at the end, I said, my website is geekyjustin.com. I didn't have a slide for it. I just said it. <laughs> and afterwards this, uh, this gentleman came up to me and said, did you say kinky Justin? <laughs> <laughs> that voice was amazing. So, oh 
kinkyjustin at christian.org that is priceless man that is awesome that voice was great wow that was like very convincing (laughs) no justin this is this has been this has been great i i would we you know most of the folks we have on here when we get a chance to read their their books we recommend them um but i want to emphasize anyway we really recommend this book i think it's so aligned with so much of what we've been talking about and frankly for those of us that have personal or for, for our listeners that know Steven and I personally have been kind of doing life together. I mean, it's, it's incredibly relevant and, and very much in kind of the conversations we've been having. So thank you for your work. Thank you for just putting yourself out there and being a leader in this conversation. And, and thanks for taking time to meet with us. And we are absolutely going to try to get you around for round two, uh, to dive into the, the sexuality discussion at, at some point. Sure thing. Thank you guys. Thanks for, for this opportunity and thanks for doing the show. I appreciate yeah. it. It's been fun. Hey guys, wanted to take some time trying to get better about reflecting and just bringing you into the conversation Stephen and I are having. So just wrapped up our conversation with Justin. Gosh, what a great guy. Oh man. Super generous, like articulate, thoughtful. That was, I thought that was awesome. Although I don't think we ever how rare i don't think we ever like end conversations and go man that was awful what i was always like yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we're always like this is great like this is amazing um what i like what i'm i'm i am curious for our listeners that you know just hit play that just listen to the listen to Justin introduce himself i think it's going to catch some people off guard but in a really good way yeah. Like I think, you know, cause I'm not planning on putting anything about sexuality, like in the title of the episode or anything. Um, and obviously that wasn't the, the core focus, but to hear for those, you know, of our listeners who like aren't really familiar with the conversation at all, but are, you know, but still like this whole idea of talking across this gap and how to do it effectively. And we didn't even get into the nitty gritty of, you know, all of his approaches, but, uh, the book was great. I think, I think the conversation's helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of like that. I mean, I, I think that the, um, I mean, I really don't have a good handle on, on exactly who our audience is, but I, I imagine, I think the people who are, who, who would be inclined to disagree with him on sexuality, I think it's just a, a, it's a really helpful exercise to, to sit with someone you disagree with and try as best as you can to be shaped more into the image of Christ through that person even though yes. they disagree, like even though you disagree with them. So I, I mean, I, I, maybe we lost a few people at the beginning. Um, maybe people went up in arms. I don't know. But I think as you surely, as you get to really hear him out, uh, I, I, I think there's, there's a lot to learn there. There's so much to learn. I think there. it's, I think it's really, it's very timely too. I mean, we didn't get into the, all the details of why exactly did you, opt to write this book at this exact time. It's probably pretty self-explanatory. Um, you know, one thing I thought about this whole idea of like, how do we agree to disagree when you're dealing in a, when you're dealing with a conversation or in a, in a conversation with someone where it's really a zero sum game on any number of issues, like there's the right way and there's the wrong way. 
I feel like this sort of how do we bridge the gap and how do we talk across our differences and particularly on theological issues can seem like basically a way of, it just seems soft. Yeah. Like I think, and I'm speaking, speaking for myself, like you lack conviction or something. Being, yeah. You like, you lack conviction mm-hmm. or you really lack, you're just wanting to kind of not even brush it aside as much as just like make everyone okay and happy and, you know, it's okay because there can be disagreements. And I remember, this is what it made me think of. And I didn't want to say it in the episode because it was a little off topic. But I remember doing, I remember getting invited to do in college, uh, be a part of a worship night. And I don't remember if this was for us, to, me to help lead with our ministry or just attend. But there was going to be this worship night and the whole brand around the night was you know, all these different ministries, all these different backgrounds, different churches, Catholic, Protestant, evangelical, conservative, Pentecostal, whatever. Let's just come together and worship. And like there was a, an image on the cover of the flyer that was like all these different pieces of yarn kind of woven together. And this is very much this whole like we're all going to come together from these different sides and like put aside all of our stuff and worship together. Dude, I like scoffed at that. Like I thought that was just so, and that wasn't even a theological debate, but I literally was like, why would I? And I actually felt like going to that would be a betrayal of like my conviction because those, and this is just speaking for myself because I genuinely believed like those people are convinced like everyone, they're all okay and they're all in and they're all Christians and they're all disciples and like, we're all good. And this is just a way of sort of washing over this bitter reality that most of these people are lost and, and don't really get it and aren't really committed. Mm. And any sort of talk about, we got to come together and unify and whatever, like if, unless it was happening in our ministry, unless that was the conversation internally, it, it seemed just soft. It seemed yeah. very much like it was interpreted as kind of a lack of conviction. And now, obviously, that's shifted dramatically. But it's funny, given your stage, when my stage of life, like I think about that whole dialogue and that whole concept so radically differently. Yeah. Why do you think it is that we, you know, and I'm sure you can relate on some level. I mean, oh, why totally. is it for those that affiliate kind of with that or have had that experience? Why, why is that? Why, why do we, why do we react that way? Why do we react that way? Mm. Like, why does it, is it just a culture of kind of ex inclusion, exclusion, sort of like this narrow, it's the narrow way. And we, I don't know. I, and maybe it's a reaction against the classic, like postmodern straw man sort of scenario of like, well, no one believes anything anymore and we got to take a stand. Gosh, I'm trying to think about times when I've when I have felt that. Um, you know, I mean, I, said, I mean, I definitely have. I I think anything that that threatens, and it's and it's still like this in many ways. Like anything that that threatens my like the way that I kind of plot myself in my mental grid of the world. Um, yes. It gets that reaction out of me. So I, I could see like situations like that where, um, well, so for example, like if, I mean, if this is a small example, but like, you know, I had friends going up to the, went to different churches. I would invite them to my church all the time. I would never go to their church. Um, well, cause, cause, well, cause <laughs> right. I, I mean, I legitimately was like, 
like, no, like you, you seriously, you need to come. Like you, you need, you need to come. Um, and, 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 right. You know, and, and it wasn't, I mean, there was, it was, it was authentic and genuine and all from a good place. But I, there, my, my sort of, even when they would ask, like, Hey, do you want to come to mine sometime? I, 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 I would try my best. I really hate when people are like, Oh yeah, sure. I'll totally be there. And they never, they never do it. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, I knew totally. in my mind that it was like, there's no way I'm, I'm not going to go because like I had this framework in my mind of where I, where I, where I sat in relation to everybody else on the grid and, mm-hmm. and I was in like a good spot. I was in the right spot. I didn't want to, I don't want to leave my spot. Um, so, and, and when, you know, when I started reading homosexuality stuff, uh, a couple of years ago, it, it, it was similar. I mean, it's it kind of part of the, the process that started a number of years of years ago of trying to just pinpoint all the different areas of my, all the different kind of rocks I've never overturned and just, go digging. Right. Um, and, and I, I even, you know, I, I felt that truthfully, I don't, I'm still trying to figure out how I think about it. Um, I don't like the current conversation, uh, as far as like, it's, it's so polarized. It's so, I mean, you know, ugh, I mean, conversation with Justin tonight was just phenomenal. Uh, I, 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 I wish the conversation on sexuality in particular was more like that. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I yeah. don't, I'm, I don't really plan a foot at the moment. I'm, I'm just trying to, 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 to get to know people. And, and I think also, um, I guess I just, I just feel, I feel less worried about needing to get it right. And I feel more worried about needing to, manage the relationship rightly like so no matter no matter if no matter Mm. what position you come to there's still a way to manage your relationships rightly and it seems like in the bible like with jesus when he talks about righteousness that's usually more what he's talking about is is how you relate to to people how do you relate to the poor how do you relate to the marginalized how do you relate to your brother how do you relate to um you know there's it's it's Perhaps that sounds soft. I don't know, but that, that that's how I think about it. No, that's important. And frankly, I want to talk to Justin about how he justifies that, what you just said, with the fact that he also said, no, but actually we have to get this right. Yeah. Right? Like, Or he, maybe he didn't say it that way, but he's like, w- where you fall on either side of this fence is really important. Like, it, it which was really interesting. I mean, our uh, listeners yeah. are going to want to know, so what do you guys think? Like what, about this homo, the sexuality thing, and this isn't the time to talk about it. But I think honestly, we could be authentic in saying we are very much on the journey. I, I think any of our listeners would be remiss to assume we land squarely in either on either side at this exact moment. Yeah. Well, so like here's what I got so far: mutual consent, insufficient sexual ethic. Like, say that again. You're, you're cut sorry, out a little uh, bit. Go ahead. Mutual consent is just insufficient as a sexual ethic. Like you can't. Right. Just the fact that like I want to do something, uh, I don't think necessarily makes it okay. But gay Christians don't think that either. So, you know, th- there's, there's, there's a lot to talk about and, and to unpack. And, and I think there's so much to learn. And, and the thing that I get frustrated with yes. is that people are so busy trying to pin down where everybody is at in the conversation, keep their sort of their own position and their mental grid 
um, that you don't, you don't get these deep, these like rich conversations. Like we just, like we just had with Justin. Um, so I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm excited about having that conversation. Um, I think I, uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, what, what else he has to teach us. Um, did you get to, did, did you get to the tree metaphor in the book? I didn't. I actually didn't. Um, I got, and I, yeah, show me for who I really am. I'm probably three quarters of the way done, maybe a little bit less than that, but no, I didn't. What was the tree metaphor? It's, it's, it's towards the end. I, I've got, I'm on audible. I've got like 50 minutes left. So I'll finish it probably tomorrow or so. But I, uh, man, this blew my mind. I, I, Lay it I, out. I I'm going to email him. So he's talking about why it's so difficult to have these conversations and why people react this way. And he has this, he has this metaphor uh, of a tree. And if you think about um, everything that we come to believe, like your, like your tree gets, gets planted when you come into the world and there are these roots down below. And these are sort of the, the values that the things that the things that sort of frame um, what you come to believe and how you come to understand yourself. These are pretty core things. Uh, and then those come together to, to a, a, a stump, a trunk. And then from that base, you'll start to see, you know, larger branches come off and then smaller branches. And, and really what it represents is that basically you have, you have these roots and those roots nourish or, 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 or um, you know, provide, you know, what's necessary for what you believe. And you, and you only get a handful of beliefs that, that are like really the like core, like you, you, there, there aren't, you don't get like 10 core central beliefs. You get like a couple. Um, and yeah. th- those are like, you, those don't, you can't, you know, you're chopping down the tree if you change those. Um, and then from those, though, out of those grow sort of your, your, your other core things. So if, if you think back to our conversation with Bonnie, remember those sort of different circles, it's like the, like the, 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 the trunk of the tree is like, we think that Jesus is the clearest expression of who God is. Right. Uh, and, and then from there you go into, uh, right. Well, and so we think that this is God's heart towards the poor, or this is a God's heart towards, you know, other people, other religions or whatever. And then out of that grows, uh, so this is how I treat my neighbor and this is how I handle this. And out of that grows. So here's where I land on this particular issue. Um, and so he, he mentions that oftentimes the difficulty comes, uh, because we get into these conversations and, uh, we, what we want to do is change, change other person's mind. But what we are asking them to do is, is like, we're asking them to, to like chop off a, a huge part of their tree. Wow. Yeah. Uh, because basically for them, and I've seen this a lot with, like with the Bible. So the, the big shift we talked about earlier in how, and how we read the Bible uh, in previous episodes, uh, I, I often, when I'm talking to, my friends about this, uh, I, I will, there is kind of an immediate suspicion and reaction. Um, because I think initially it does, it will kind of sound like, well, but then what, how do, how do you, how can the Bible be authoritative anymore? So like what, right. what they're feeling yeah. is, wait, so if you're right, then I got to throw the Bible out and the Bible is yeah. like, you know, right off the trunk. It's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so finding ways to, like, I think it makes this great point where basically we're, we're, all our trees grow together. And so sometimes, you know, 
my limbs will fall on, you know, the other person's side. And is the best response then is to go take the chainsaw to the base of their tree or can you you not like just ask them to prune it a little bit or, you know, so I, I, I thought that was, that was, that's really helpful. So in those conversations, I think then, then, then the goal becomes, okay, like everything they think th- th- these are rational, they're rational people. So how do I, how do I get to where they are currently rationally? And then how do I get them to kind of where I'd like for them to be without having to take an ax to, you know, a third of their tree. I love that. Oh, it's totally. Does that make sense? No, it's you totally. Read the book. Hey, I've read it like 60%. No, no right. you, I meant like, you I meant, should actually read this opposing <laughs> like you did. Um, no, that, that is, that makes a ton of sense. That's really helpful. I'm going to, no, I'm going to keep cranking. I love that. Um, I yeah. would, I know we didn't plan on talking about this. We've talked about engaging more with our listeners and finding the best way to do that. Um, we've taught, and I saw you were experimenting with like Voxer. We've talked about SpeakPipe. There's this this thing called email um, that people can use. I mean, we'd love yeah. to hear from you guys um, on this, and I'm sure some people have all sorts of opinions. Others maybe less so. Um, Stephen, what have you been experimenting with with sort of best ways folks can get in touch with us? Obviously, you can email us, ladypodcast at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to sort of be interacting more. And frankly, even like in follow-up or your reaction type segments yeah. like this, we'll, we'll whip out some questions directly. Um, any other thing you've been looking into, Stephen? I know we're kind of TBD on on finding the best way to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, currently when, they, uh, when you go to our Podbean site, um, I think is it under the about page? We do. There is a link to our SpeakPipe, yeah. and and I do still have SpeakPipe up. Um, so SpeakPipe is basically like Voxer. I mean, the idea is basically you can you can get on there and leave us a voicemail, and we can kind of um, chat over voicemail. Like I, I, you leave a voicemail, and then we can respond, and and, and it keeps the thread open, like, very much like Voxer. Um, Voxer's just pretty much the same thing. It's probably more mobile friendly. Um, I like I, I like that because email just takes forever to write and it's just yeah i don't know I, I like being to hear people you can that's just me um totally that's what i got so far but i mean if, if people email is great i mean yeah twitter i guess they can reach out to you you can't find yeah, me totally i don't have, I don't have a lot. can't find steven he's on there <laughs> I'm, I'm on there yeah i've been getting on more than i want to um, but yeah, for anybody who don't know, I mean, we're not pushing like Instagram or Twitter. We're trying to keep it very not, we still want that to take up our attention and time. So obviously not marketing it, but if there are authors, speaker, if there are people that you're like, man, you guys should get this guy or, or gal on and talk about et, et cetera, whatever, we want to hear from you for sure. Um, haven't gotten a ton of feedback recently. Um, so feel free to shoot us an email, speak pipe, et cetera. Um, but let's definitely have Justin back, man. I think we should talk about be great. sometime in the next few months having the sexuality conversation. I think it'd be helpful. And it, it's not like this isn't really relevant for many of our our people um, who I think are thinking or have been in this conversation themselves. But yeah, man, we say we sign off. Let our, peeps, let our people go. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. See you in the next one.